Hello, you're listening to the Assessment Association Podcast. Hello, and welcome to this, the first episode of the E-Assessment Association's COVID-19 podcast series. I'm Gareth Hopkins, an E-Assessment Specialist at City and Guilds, and I'm a member of the EAA board. I'm joined by three guests today, uh, Nikhil from Tata, uh, Gavin and John from Alpha Plus. If you'd like to introduce yourselves quickly and say uh, who you are and what you do at your respective organisations. Uh, it's okay. John Winkley here. So I'm one of the directors at Alpha Plus. I was, uh, until a few years ago, uh, one of the founding directors of the e-assessment association. Um, my job at Alpha Plus is um, customer liaison, uh, business development, marketing, uh, at the early phase of projects as well. And I'm Gavin Renault. I'm one of the other directors and owners at uh, Alpha Plus. Uh, my primary responsibility at the moment is as the um, technical architect for the platform, which is delivering uh, national assessments for school children uh, in years two to nine in Wales. But I also undertake uh, a range of other sort of general uh, education consultancy and assessment uh, work at Alpha Plus. Perfect. And Nikhil? Yeah. Hi, I'm Nikhil and uh, I'm part of uh, the Tata group and within it there is a company called as TCS. TCS is a global IT services consulting and business solutions leader and we partner with world's leading you know businesses in trans doing their digital transformation journeys. Within TCS there's a unit focused specifically on education, which we call it as TCS ION. And uh, then education also is focused on assessments, high stake assessments, promotional examinations for multiple recruitment bodies, multiple awarding organizations, education uh, also specific for learning, learning needs of different organization. And I take care of uh, business development. So I'm the business development director for UK for TCS. All right, perfect. Well, it's uh, nice to meet you, Nikhil. Um, I've met John and Gavin um, around. Obviously, I'm on the board with Gavin and, well, I've known John for a few years now. So um, before, we go into what, yeah. before we go into yeah. what everyone's businesses have been doing, um, can you update the global listener as to what the response in your region to the COVID-19 has been and what, how it's affected learning and assessment? I guess we'll start with uh, Nikhil. Yeah, so have you got a specific region or are you international? Is your region the entire world? Yes, yeah, so I specifically focus on UK and some of the countries in Europe. And the statement or, you know, the COVID response was part of the entire Tata group, which we are part of. And I would say that the Tata group has shown a good amount of empathy, resilience and innovation actually in our response and multiple things to talk about i'll limit myself to a few things first okay. of all you know we continue to support our mission of you know uh, you know the critical technologies for all the leading global organizations which we do we continue to support them as usual business we have created you know for our employees a concept called as secure uh, borderless workspaces for that 400,000 people of TCS today they are working from home supporting all the clients. Talking about you know the society helping our customers fight the COVID-19, we have done a lot of work in designing ventilators, accelerating drug discovery, things like that. 
overall as tata group we have pledged a amount of 200 million which will be used in these activities and uh, we have played a part in the education industry also where we think we have a role in helping parents and schools to continue to educate their children and we have created certain offerings related uh, which we brand it as tcs ion classroom which mimics every activity which happens in classrooms for colleges and students and they can be done now in a virtual or digital way secondly specifically in uh, space of assessments we have launched certain remote proctoring services where uh, we provide the entire remote proctoring software the assessment platform linked to it and the invigilation service which can be a challenge for conducting certain examinations right now so we've clubbed in all these together and we offer them obviously modular also and uh, these things uh, you know we can say uh, we have brought in and we say that today we are open for business anything uh, it has no the covid 19 has not stopped us you know to help our clients right now from a strategic perspective if i say so we are a strategic partner of world economic forum and we are a member of the covid action platform also so there are certain things which we are doing in the space of clinical trials also so we are working with uh, you know who and other people yeah. to create something called as a patient tracker app with some of our pharma customers where we explore the ideas for affordable and uh, you know effective ventilators medical kits plus we have created certain 31 compounds which can be utilized to find a cure for covid-19 so yeah oh wow okay cool <laughs> all right um and uh john and gavin um in terms well, of <laughs> yeah, to, yeah no <laughs> uh, the way to go with that so i mean alpha plus is a specialist uh assessment business so um uh, we can talk about um the sectors that we work in and what we think what's been happening there um we work actually across three sectors um schools so primary and secondary schools um both in the uk and overseas um with all the jurisdictions that we work with all the schools are closed and we're not with one exception we're not aware of any um uh, country that's planning to run summer exams um not every country has closed its schools but the vast majority have and it's interesting i mean speaking specifically about england but many of the other countries pretty much everybody has given up on the idea of running this the usual exams that they'd be running yeah. at the end of the school year including the big important exams like um end of phase exams like GCSEs and A levels so pretty mm. much everybody's um given up on those we also work in um vocational education and largely the same is true there um a lot of vocational education in the UK is apprenticeship based where students are largely in work and some of that is still going on but the colleges where they would learn one day a week um and the colleges where <coughs> non apprentice fe learn further education learners would be they're all closed and professional education uh, is our third area so we work with about 30 professional bodies um the vast majority of them have had to postpone their um uh professional exams so most of what most of these professional bodies run exams they're not on demand so you can't do them at any time but you but there are mm. a, a number of windows through the year and the windows that 
um, there's typically a summer window and pretty much all of those have been postponed. So yeah. they'll be expecting a surge of candidates um, for the September cycle. Interestingly, um, most of the professional bodies we work with are UK based, not all of them, but most of them, relatively few are far down the road with remote proctoring. And I think mm. that's that's a bit of a difference actually between the culture here and um, culture elsewhere in the world where my instinct is there's more um, remote proctoring going on. Um, yeah. You asked about learning. Um, I can say a bit about that. Yes, yeah, please do. So, so <clears throat> aside from the day job of um, Alpha Plus, I'm also involved in a multi-academy trust, which is a cluster of um, 10 schools in uh, in my hometown of Bradford, which is in the north of England, um, primary schools, secondary schools, special schools, about, about seven and a half thousand kids. Um, they are uh, they stopped pretty quickly in the middle of March and uh, kids. Mm -hmm. There's no plan yet as to when those any of those schools will reopen, although actually all the schools have remained open just for a few children, um, yeah. children of key workers. Um, yeah. But they're not really running as schools. They're running as, um, I mean, they are providing education, but it's it's not teaching. In uh, there's there's typically like two percent of the kids are are in school, so you can't run yeah. classes. And schools have been struggling to to get to grips with online learning. To they, they've got a duty to educate these kids while they're at home, mm. but it's not something they've ever done before. No. Um, the trust I work with has got really good IT systems. The IT is really good, but nobody's ever tried to educate kids at home. And I could, <laughs> no. I could talk I mean, for it. If I, I, I had could, to summarize the challenge. My... <laughs> go on. Sorry, Gareth, John. Go on. I was going to say, I can only speak from my experience, which is that there's lots of um, online resources which the teachers have desperately um, grabbed and, and started sharing. Um, to diff and but it depends on the kid is is my experience whether they react well yeah. to that uh, and which ones agree. they where they work with so um, so I would say to, I'd summarize yeah. it as two things really if I had to try and summarize the 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 the, the, the endeavors of half a million teachers in the UK to try and maintain education I would say two things firstly there's quite a lot of teaching going on but it's hard to know what learning is going on. So teachers mm. are putting stuff online and running virtual lessons and, you know, all that. But it's quite hard to know whether anybody's listening on the other end or if they appear to be listening, whether any of it's actually going in. Yeah, I think that's a significant challenge. And the other challenge that the UK faces probably um, more so than other countries is the, the digital divide. I was just reading today yeah. that, there's 700,000 kids in England, so that's one and a bit school, nearly two school years worth of kids who mm. don't have a large screen device at home. They'll have a phone, but they mm. won't have an iPad or a PC or a yeah. laptop or anything like that. These kids, it's not just about the kit, it's about an attitude to learning and all that. We're going to have a big problem with, um, you know, the, the, the gap between the the motivated middle classes and the rest is probably mm. going to get wider as a result of this. And I don't think anybody's got any answers to that yet. So that, 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 that was a summary of where we are with, with learning lots of endeavor, but hard to know what's working. Yeah, and we were going to talk about the digital divide later on.
Assessment Question Conference has gone virtual. Starting on June 23rd, we'll have three weeks of amazing content, all centered around e-assessment. Week one, future gazing and innovation. Week two, assessment and practical implementation. And week three, technology, higher education and regulation. So make sure you don't miss out. Go to e-assessment-question.com for more information. Now back to Gareth. Thanks for that, John. What we'll start, what we'll do now then is, um, Nikhil, if you could tell us a bit about what Tata was doing before COVID-19 and what's had to change in order to, to keep up with the crisis. Okay, so I will kind of, you know, limit my content to learning and assessments and learning a very valid question, which uh, was raised right now by John, mm. that you cannot measure, you know, learning specifically just using virtual conferences. Yeah. So uh, if I start, I would say that, you know, there are two sides of the coin. At one side, uh, it's not only post-COVID, but if you see the digital technologies they have emerged or they have been uh, we have seen the shift since quite some time now that most of the education uh, in schools or you know colleges universities they are looking for online systems which can deliver learning which can deliver assessment and because of uh, covid-19 yes it has given uh, fuel to this entire fire and we definitely see that you know, online assessment or online learning will become a strategic priority i would say for any kind of awarding organization any kind of schools or colleges uh, it will not you know uh, earlier i would say before uh, before covid 19 it was more of a source of new revenue or a source of opening up new geographies at scale or reducing certain cost elements but now I think it will be recognized definitely as a core priority. This is my perspective from uh, organization standpoint of view. From candidate perspective, it will depend. You know, uh, some of the candidates they feel that uh, it's more relaxing to study or learn or do assessments at home, whereas uh, they will you know have less fear when they actually uh, sitting relaxed at their home to you know go through an assessment but on the other side some of the people they would not be actually uh, you know like to see some other person in their private, private space so there are both sides of coin i would say and uh, uh, from the technology perspective if i say from tata what we would say that see this remote proctoring if we uh, which we uh, see that some of the institutes are moving today to uh, john very well mentioned that uh, most of the high stake assessments they have not moved to it and there are very good reasons to that also which i also believe and still we have seen that the number of people now or the institutes which were very much reluctant they have started to uh, at least think about it yes all the high stake assessments like the gcse a levels i would give an example of india uh, yesterday, the ministry came out with a statement uh, that we will not conduct it through remote proctoring. We will go ahead and do the similar kind of A-levels and GCSE-level examinations in the month of July and September. Uh, so, I would say that the assessment capability with proctoring, it is still a research subject. And 
and in multiple aspects and with time we will see and uh, with more advanced technologies with more research more capability to capture the malpractices you know uh, with the data which will be available through machine learning machine learning and artificial intelligence has played a huge role in this and for both of them we need huge amount of data to come up with the best solutions for remote proctoring so i definitely see that the future will at a point of time move towards this but yeah it will takes some amount of time and we cannot say that uh, right now it is uh, 100% ready this would uh, be my statement if it yeah, makes sense. No, I I agree and um, ask John and Gavin in a bit as well. But what's it, what I found interesting from looking at the different remote proctoring services available is that um, there doesn't they all offer slightly different variations on the same idea. So some have one camera solutions with the shared desktop. Some have two camera solutions. Some have AI checking the idea of the candidate. That there isn't a unified ID idea yet of what is a valid virtual assess, um, remote proctored assessment. Yeah. Um, go on, John. No, so you're correct saying that, Gareth. And yes, there are multiple facets of that. If you see the offerings in market today, it will be you know uh, either you can have a complete uh, AI proctored assessment or you can have a human proctored assessment combined with AI proctored. So those kind of things are present today. Uh, but from an organizational point of view. If you see from the government of point of view, it I would say that you know there are certain things which ways in which people still can uh, you know do certain malpractices. There are many technologies available like that. If you search in YouTube, you will or or Google it, you will get multiple ways in which you know people are giving the uh, hologram technology has uh, developed in such a way that you know you won't even understand that what is happening. There are multiple ways. In which people can control the operating system of their laptops. People can yeah. have certain devices in their earbuds which you can't see. So there are things which needs to be uh, factored in, obviously. And people, everyone is very smart enough to use these technologies right now. But yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's my. Sorry. Go on, John. I was just going to say I do think it's interesting. We, we, um. There's a pretty wide acceptance that the remote proctoring isn't quite there yet, and I think. But what's interesting to me is let's if if this um, virus had, had impacted where we had nearly a year to get ready to run high stakes exams. I'm talking about summer exams for kids, for example. Then, I think I think the public would reasonably have expected schools to sort it out, but because schools didn't close till just before Easter, then I think people have kind of reasonably expected that there can be no solution to to running the summer exams, and there hasn't been much outcry about that. And yet the impact of it will be very substantial. I mean, not just for the children um, that um, won't get real GCSE and A level. Um, scores that recognize the work they've done but you know if we think about professional exams it's bad news to delay qualifying doctors for six months um because the exams aren't available so you know i think it's interesting if we would had longer if we'd had a year or let's say we decided now for some reason that we couldn't run the exams in 2021 i think we'd have to square up to these challenges that nickel 
recognises and we'd have to say, well, we just have to make it work. And I think and, we yeah. could probably get there if there was enough of a enough of a push. But, yes. you know, given that we did it in March and the exams are in June, I don't think it's feasible. No. Yes. And yes. there's also um, reticence from um, uh, regulators uh, around, because my experience of them is that everyone's first instinct when they come across a remote proctoring service is to work out the quickest way to cheat on it. Um, certainly that's been all the conversations I've ever had. So people have been like, oh yeah, but you could do this and you could do this. And so we, I think we need time to embed it so that all the obvious things have been worked through and uh, people there's feel secure a, that they've been thought about. And also- I agree with that. that and, there, and, yeah. and the worry is there are new ways of cheating, ways that seem obvious and blatant, but let's not kid ourselves that there isn't tons of malpractice going on within, within exam halls. I mean, I don't know how much of this is in the public domain, but you know, all the exam boards and and the DFE have there's a steady stream of you know um, issues with um, traditional exams. Um, so you know, the new is more is held up to higher levels of scrutiny than the traditional in some cases. Yes, and I, I, I still think you're right. I think there are some very good ways to cheat with remote proctoring, but if you really had to solve that problem. And you were given a decent run at it. Pretty sure you then could. Then you'd be able to do it, yeah. Yes, correct. Yes, and one major point, you know, which I also feel, or I always had felt, that when trainings can be conducted online today, everyone post COVID they feel that trainings can be conducted online. Why not assessments? Why should we put assessments on hold? And I understand all these points are there, but uh, maybe we should are not in a position right now 100% secure to conduct the highest stake assessments uh, through remote proctoring, but definitely we need to start doing assessments in this way because this will only help us to create that technology so that later on remote proctoring becomes, you know, uh, the service which everyone can rely on or which is 100% secure for high Absolutely, stake assessments. Yeah. Yes, I think it might be worth Gavin saying a little bit about the um, the assessments that we are managing for the Welsh Government in Wales, yeah. which were traditionally very high stakes assessments. Yeah, and have moved I, to... yeah I, was, I was going to say that they, they shine an interesting light on some of the challenges which are more organisational and operational rather than uh, these things being a, a straightforward technical challenge because so we deliver uh, formative national assessments in uh, in Wales. So um, every learner in Wales from year two to year nine takes uh, one or two of the school's choice uh, assessments in uh, three subjects, which are reading, uh, procedural numeracy and, and numerical reasoning. And these are being uh, transitioned from um, what were paper tests that took place in a fixed window in May to uh, on-demand, on-screen assessments with, with next day feedback and, uh, and reporting. So, so far, the procedural uh, numeracy and reading are available on screen. So what we, we look at what happened with the sort of straightforward aspects of delivery 
we have a, a business continuity and disaster recovery uh, plan in place. We have two uh, technical partners in the delivery team and we also work with uh, WJC providing uh, support to uh, the schools in Wales that are using this platform and literally we um, we had the Prime Minister's address on uh, on the Monday evening when when um, the first advice to work from home was given we'd all seen it coming we'd we prepared the BCDR plan and literally from the next morning nine o'clock the next morning the entire consortium was um, working from home functioning completely normally and test delivery was uh, was continuing and, and tests continued to be delivered and, and used quite quite happily across uh, Wales for the then reducing number of uh, pupils that were attending um, schools for that week. At the end of that week schools uh, closed down and um, from that point forwards, whilst it's been technically possible to deliver assessments, um, they haven't been taking place. And it's very much around the issues of um, practice. They're all hosted within a learning environment, uh, a virtual learning environment, uh, which Welsh schools are making huge use of to deliver their, uh, uh, their, their distance learning but um, they're not being used or, or that platform itself isn't being used for delivering the, uh, uh, the assessments themselves. And when you look at sort of the challenges that are there, they're very much around the um, support and help structures that are in place. Um, and so simple problems like we know one of the big challenges is a uh, simple thing like um, the learners lose their logins to the uh, uh, to the uh, uh, virtual learning environment and hence can't log in and, and, and access their uh, tests. So normally mm -hmm. in schools, this isn't a problem. There's someone in the school that has access to all of those uh, credentials and the school has an infrastructure to make sure that those learners can log in. Once they're all learning from home, simply just making sure that all the learners can log in is is a huge problem schools you know they're not set up for distance learning they don't have contact mechanisms necessarily in place for all of those uh, all of those learners and then uh, once they do log in um as as john was explaining you know the experience that they receive in terms of their online learning experience differs massively across the country some have excellent broadband they have uh, modern uh, modern devices and have a lot of parental support uh, to make sure they can get online other learners have no broadband access probably if they have any device at all it's a mobile phone of unknown uh, uh, sort of standard and, and, and provenance um, and they may well have parents that aren't particularly uh, engaged with helping and, and supporting their online learning and so it's interesting that you know, whilst there's a perfectly effective technical platform there, it is that whole support infrastructure that is missing. You know, it's not a technical challenge that stops these uh, uh, assessments running. It's it's the expectations around custom and practice. Yeah. Um, 
so, so you, um, how have you found in practice? How have you found like uh, people? Have people still been taking them at the assessments because they're practice assessments, aren't they? And they can get feedback whenever they like. I'm I'm right in my thinking there, aren't I? So so they are for, they're formative assessments. Mm. Um, but because um, sorry, they, formative, not practice. My mistake. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. So the formative assessments to, to, to advise on the next learning steps. So um, as I say, there are a limited number of opportunities to to use them. Um, so the schools um, schedule them when they want to have them to uh, have the results to inform their their, their planning for uh, uh, learners. Um, and therefore, at this point, uh, what we see, which is unsurprising, is the schools have stopped scheduling them because if they schedule them, you know, as I say, whilst they'll get, whilst they can be launched and used and they'll get results back, they can't be sure that they represent, say, the learner's own best yeah. work, that they were concentrating, that they were working in a suitable environment, that it wasn't uh, their parents helping them, and that actually it's more a measure of uh, their parents' learning requirements, uh, uh, potentially. So what we do see on the system is a steady stream of teachers logging in and accessing the existing feedback and looking at the levels uh, that their learners had achieved and so on before the lockdown occurred. So, you know, we presume that there's a lot of use being made there of, of teachers thinking about the strengths and weaknesses of their learners and working out what help to try to uh, uh, try to offer them. And interestingly, we see quite a lot of learners logging in and using the practice materials that are there within the system. So it just shows that, you know, the users that have access to the system are logging in, they are using the practice materials and accessing the feedback, but what's not happening because there isn't really the mechanism there is the actual use of them at this point um, uh, to use them to, uh, to to inform teaching and learning at this point. Mm. Okay. Uh, Nickel, your TS, uh, sorry, TCS Ion service that's been made free to educational organisations, hasn't it? How how have you found that working? Yes, it's it has been working very good, and uh, we have created it as a we you know name it as TCS Ion Classroom. So very much that's on the right. same problem lines, you know, which uh, you know we were talking about right now. So. We have seen that you know there are certain platforms present today where you can act, do formative assessments. You can, uh, you know, take out certain practice material. Teachers can log in. But one layer which is very much missing is that how can uh, this platform act as a role of engaging people? So okay, I understand assessments, uh, learning from assessments, learning from uh, materials which are present as part of uh, courses or other things. This is very important, but if you people feel it as a burden that, okay, this is an additional thing which I'm going to do, they won't do it. But if we somehow through the platform perspective itself, engage people, we, for example, you know, there's a kind of closed community where the teacher always communicates, talks to the people either one-to-one -one or, you know, create certain forms of small, small debates and, you know, motivate the students to participate in it. 
small kind of you know quizzes small kind of questions where you know uh, multiple people can answer so those kind of small small you know discussion forums they do help a lot to increase the engagement this is what i have seen and from you know the numbers perspective if you talk about classroom huge uh, you know wonderful things which we have seen right now i'll tell you three weeks since we have launched it we have seen almost 16000 institutes register as part of it we have made live around 1200 and it's a combination of universities it's a combination of schools so it's a huge traction which we are seeing and lot of positive uh, you know things which we are hearing out from people that yes this is the way forward and the main thing which uh we have seen is that we also did record you know different analytic parameters that how many people are doing assessments things like that but most important was the social angle where we looked at and found that teachers or the students they are using it as a kind of social collaboration channel or just like a facebook you can say that on a daily basis teacher is talking the students you know they are talking to each other they are posting certain things sharing with others teacher randomly you know three to four times a day they will start small small debates and students will you know vote for against them they will keep you know talking about it so these things i have seen has been the driver to engage people and once they are engaged they definitely they will uh, go through the assessment they will go through uh you know different practice material everything and you know they, they will go through the virtual live conference sessions that is fine but this uh, factor uh of engagement i have seen that it has driven the numbers which i told you yeah that's no, it's fascinating i mean listening to this i'm i'm always struck by um basing um any opinions on my experience at school my children's experience and i think that there will be candidate that's sorry i always think of the people's candidates because i'm so involved in summative testing sorry there'll be learners who are engaged with stuff online who will go onto forums and virtual classrooms and really engage and there'll be others who there'll be two other groups as i see it ones who just don't want to do that who engage better in like a physical environment and then those who are unable to because they haven't got the technology to um to anybody really what are the sort of um responses that that, that your respective platforms play into with those one very key aspect of engagement would be gareth will be moderation so yes there can be multiple channels of interest where people can you know talk about or discussion forums where they can communicate with each other but until and unless you moderate it there is someone like a teacher or a you know administrator of a school college who is moderating it uh the purpose changes so if the purpose is to do pure learning or to educate people the moderator needs to play a very vital role and you know create a kind of plan for himself that on a daily basis i am going to do these certain activities from our perspective we have that experience in moderation from working around you know around countries and different institutions we definitely uh, as part of this offering which i mentioned we in a, we talk to the people and we share these kind of methods or practices that okay i'm go, giving you the uh, entire platform for free but i can tell you that until and unless you follow these certain things it won't work for you it's it's not going yeah. to cost you anything but it will cost you time of your people and things like that so 
moderation has been a very important element and how do you manage the time how do you keep uh, different kind of students different kind of people engaged through different channels mm. uh, so that they actually love doing something like this that has been a major driver i would say yeah cuz um listening to feedback um from gavin on on your platform um over time it sounds like uh, students are really engaged with it uh, at school are they are you still finding the same level of engagement with them working on it at home well so one of the real success factors uh, i think for the platform is that we didn't develop something entirely new and, and parachute it into schools it was uh, an integration into the welsh national uh, virtual learning environment that, that all schools and all learners have access to, but is used in varying amounts. And part of the strength of having a national approach like that is it is in turn automatically integrated to schools MISs, so that when the school has its management information system set up, you know it knows uh, its full school role and all of that information is uh, is synchronized with the virtual learning environment and so there were real success factors where for example one of the tools is a one-click configuration so any class that exists in the uh, uh, in a school's mis can be turned into a uh, microsoft teams group which is used for um uh, you know providing um uh, teach contact with the uh, with the class and so 15,000 such groups were created in the first week of uh, of lockdown uh, which really shows you know the sort of the massive uptake uh, uh, across Wales of this virtual learning tool so we can certainly see that you know within within the wider platform there's there's i think huge appetite uh, for using these systems. But we've been talking with um, some of the schools that we've previously done piloting with about whether or not they've had any thoughts about using the other assessment features and whether they wanted any help. And it's interesting, you know, it, it's very sobering when they come back with the very real welfare challenges that they have. You know, they talk about having. Uh, where they're concerned about children's basic safety and whether they're being fed, you know, sort of regular nutritious meals and just getting basic support. And they're sort of saying so much their bandwidth is on that, that, you know, going further to worry about delivering standardised assessments and things, you know, really isn't high up their priority list. And I think John can say a bit more, you know, from his multi-academy trust about the the very real challenges that a lot of schools face in, in some of their catchment areas. Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, I think, it, yeah, it is fascinating to me. I, the two things I take away from this whole crisis from an educational point of view are, firstly, our high stakes summative end of year assessment model has proved extremely unresilient to this bump in the road. Um, We've just we've just parked it basically, and yeah. um, that's going to be a tragedy for some kids, and particularly in I think in in England, you know we've got to estimate results, and we frankly don't have a lot to go on 
we have um, estimated grades, which are known to have bias to, uh, you know, um, poorer kids and kids from ethnic minorities tend to get tend to get lower estimate uh, predicted mm. grades than uh, than than their peers and, and and do better when it comes mm -hmm. to it. Um, and we don't have any coursework or, or there's no prior attainment information at all, apart from key stage two data for GCSEs. Yeah. So that's the first thing is our, our, our supposedly bulletproof exam system hasn't done very well. Actually, <laughs> You know, we're not, we're not in a great place. And um, the second thing is that when we, when we conceived of the, when we first worked with Welsh government to conceive this system, I think, if we'd been presented with the scenario we're in now, we'd have probably said, well, actually, this system is pretty resilient and it will support testing through the year. I mean, mm. Welsh Government are in a good position that some tests were taken before the, the lockdown. And, it, and I think we wouldn't be that far away from being able to offer tests to children at home. But the mm. practicalities of the welfare of children, that's the thats the second thing that, that schools are, certainly schools in um, poor areas are dealing with and certainly the schools I'm uh, involved with you know we're, we're at the point of doing learning and we're supporting children and we're trying to make it fair and equitable but that's against a backdrop of knowing just how difficult it is to actually achieve that mm. and assessment is not um, top of the list as Gavin yeah. says but having said that I do think the system that we've implemented in Wales which um, it's kind of on the lines of what we were talking about at the beginning. You know, the problem with remote proctoring is nobody really trusts it yet for yeah. ultra high stakes assessment. But it'll do for lots of other types of assessment, do perfectly yeah. well. And why do we insist on having so much ultra high stakes assessment? The, the, the biggest shift in the Wales project is to say, well, why shouldn't we allow children to take these assessments more than once a year to take them um, uh at the time that the teacher chooses, they don't have to be taken under excruciating exam conditions. Yeah. Um, we can achieve everything we need at a national level, at a school level, at a supporting children level, without having to have, without having to do it the kind of um, old school exams way. And I think yeah. that's the big lesson I take from this is that there's probably too much ultra high stakes assessment going on. Um, It'd be better if some of it was done a bit differently. Yeah, and do you think that would be a natural? Because we're gonna we're looking towards the new normal now. So what things are going to be like when locked as lockdown starts to lift? Do you see that being one of the lessons that we take from it, or do you think that um, there'll be just a snap back to we've proven that we can survive for a little bit? Let's just carry on how we were before. I do. It's a really difficult um, thing to judge is that my instinct is that within the school sector where where the the educator, the teacher has a lot of responsibility for the for the learner because they're a child. I'm hoping that a lot of teachers will realize that some of the the ways they some of the pedagogies they use really could be innovated without too much effort. and. Mm. They've had a light shone on the fact that some of the stuff they've been doing online works really well. And some of the wild ideas like flipped classrooms and so on don't seem quite as wild as they did a year no. ago. And it would be worth having a go, you know, building some of this into um, 
I mean, I think about my schools, they've got amazing IT, they've got Office 365, they've got enough bandwidth, they've got, um, you know, we've got, we've got a thousand teachers, we can email them all at a click of a button. It's a big organisation with proper IT. Can we get them to talk to each other using Microsoft Teams? No, we can barely get them to phone each other. Whenever they want <laughs> to meet, they get in their cars and go to a meeting. Right. Uh, we've yeah. changed that culture in the last uh, in the last eight weeks. Um, things like that, um, you know, modern office practices that teachers largely haven't been exposed to, those things will improve. I do hope that um, we learn some lessons on assessment as well, that we don't just say, oh, well, it was a black swan event. It was just, it was completely unpredictable. And therefore, you know, we should regard it as acceptable that there's a bunch of kids, well, there's 500,000 kids actually in England who will never sit a GCSE. Um, you know, uh, I, I think it would be good if we had a plan for not doing that again. And it, it will be very interesting because, you know, those those hundreds of thousands of, of learners are going to progress. And we're going to <laughs> get a very interesting picture of just how much value each of them would normally have received from the fact that, they were going to sit you know, somewhere on average of about 10 GCSEs each, give or take a bit. Um, and now they're going to make that same progression based purely on teacher assessment. Um, and I don't imagine their outcomes are going to be a whole lot different, which is going to ask some questions about just how much high stakes assessment is the right amount and what is the real purpose of some of these high stakes um, assessment events that we're subjecting people to. Absolutely, yeah. And also the the validity of that. So if somebody could be assessed in another way as validly, what's the point in making them sit down to write everything out? I, um, I think I think the, the seesaw is tipping. Um, mm. so it's probably got quite a long way to tip. You know, the, 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 the beauty of high stakes end of year exams is that they're sort of nominally fair and nominally um rigorous um but mm. teach we, we've we, we, because of a bump in the road we've just fallen back on teacher assessment something mm. that um historically we haven't really regarded as acceptable you know the reason coursework was abandoned largely was because teacher assessment wasn't um regarded as sufficiently trustworthy so mm. it, there's a that coupled with kind of thing we're doing in Wales where you can children can take an assessment at any point during a school year and we can monitor their trajectory and talk about how they're doing how they're progressing support their teacher in helping them progress more quickly there's great benefit in all that and it produces pretty much the same sort of um trustworthy results that you could get from a high stakes system and by the way it's a lot less expensive um so i think the seesaw is tipping um, yeah and also organizations which offer tests coming out of covid will be closer to having reliable remote proctoring services available and will want to use them if and especially if customers would like to utilize them and having them in place will probably mean that they'll just get used more often anyway. They'll become the new normal. 
Yes, I think if you're if you were an awarding body that did say five percent of your assessments through remote proctoring, then it would have been much, much easier to ramp that up to say 70%, 30% delay, 70% just um, do it on remote proctoring than if you've mm -hmm. got zero, because if you've got zero, you've got to kind of you've got to solve all the problems um, in a compressed timetable. Um, so I think if people make a start, then they'll they'll quite quickly work out where it's where it's fair and appropriate and safe to use and where it isn't. We just haven't yeah. got enough people have made a start on that yet. No, uh, Nicola, looking through my notes, um, you have a customer called Sastra who are offering remote proctoring for the CELA and LSAT exams. Is that right? Yes. So that's a customer in India. There are multiple customers like that, which, uh, you know, have moved to remote proctoring exams. Uh, not for the highest take assessments and as John was mentioning that you know there are multiple type of exams which we can do some can have no proctoring at all uh, which can be online some can have low kind of proctoring where you just control the you know machine of the candidate you have human proctored for certain high stakes and machine proctored so yes there are certain uh, you know universities which are now uh, moved to Certain some of their exams which are not their highest stake or ultra high stake, but they are, these are medium stake assessments which they have moved to remote proctoring right now. And yes, and as ex everyone was explaining, John also mentioned that I also completely agree with him that the pedagogies were specifically for learning and assessment, it's going to see a huge change. And I I will not say change, I'll say that it's going to see a lot of innovations innovations from experience perspective uh, of every stakeholder and uh, you know in addition to that from control perspective also you will see a lot of change that how do people you know take privacy access rights or you know confidentiality data protection so these things will also see a lot of innovation and change changes in the you know, coming things because you know it's been covered and Obviously, this will online assessment for sure will become a strategic priority, and all the awarding organizations which are which are at zero percent, they will definitely move from this model uh, to at least some percentage of their examinations. Mm. Yes, could I could I add something to that? I want to say something a bit more <laughs> a bit more positive because I think I've sounded a bit downbeat. <laughs> I've always said, with my experience with schools, that schools are amazingly adaptive institutions. They they can do anything. They cope with vast changes to curriculums and they deal with all sorts of difficult challenges with children. So people who say schools are slow to change kind of miss the point. They can do anything. What they can't do is everything. Um, mm. And so schools can appear to be quite sluggish and they've been pretty sluggish at getting into modern pedagogies and dealing with um, ILT and technology supported learning and all that but the reason they've been slow is not because they're incapable of it but because it just hasn't been high enough up their agenda in my opinion <laughs> nobody's actually told them to do it because um, at the end of the day they've still got to teach um, 27 hours or whatever it is a week in the classroom mm. but that will have changed now we've got a nation of teachers who have had to uh, work out how to do things a bit differently uh, and I'm pretty hopeful that having seen what you know what, what what's worked and what hasn't there'll be a lot more enthusiasm and actually if they if they really grasp it then they're an amazing powerhouse for change um and 
the good news is there's loads of really great technology companies out there ready with stuff to help them. Um, Absolutely, yeah. It's always been a sales challenge as, as e-learning. It's no, the technology is pretty good. Um, it's just persuading people to use it that's the uh, that's been the historic challenge. Yes, and a very correct point. You know, uh, if I talk about feedback of people from e-assessment perspective, online assessment perspective, or uh, remote proctoring. The best feedback you will get from candidates are the school children. You know, they will, uh, you will keep your fingers crossed that, okay, uh, what will be the feedback? But the school children, they come with a huge positive feedback I have seen. And the staff also, the way they adapt to these particular changes, they're the first one, you know, the first adopters of these things. Very correctly mentioned, John, that the school, they can, I completely agree that they can do anything. Yeah, and that's certainly our, our experience from in Wales, the the degree of positive acceptance from the learners for the on-screen assessments is is really huge. They are massively enthusiastic. So it's that is one of the really interesting things that we've been looking at. Uh, and and thinking about its long-term impact is you know when you get a learner who has done all of their major formative assessments on screen from year two to year nine suddenly running into currently an exam system that's going to expect them to walk into an exam hall sort of 20 times over a summer with a with a biro and uh, and write sides and sides of of, of a4 handwriting um it's going to be a massive shock to the system and and they'll quite rightly be asking why <laughs> absolutely yeah um it feels like that's a good place to stop this i could throw some more um bomb type questions into the conversation <laughs> we could keep on going for uh a while longer but um thank you all for your time uh, is there anything else that you'd like to say just before we close or just like to say thank you very much for uh, your excellent sharing. Yeah, yes. good discussion. Really interesting to hear uh, the different perspectives. Yeah, it was wonderful. Yeah, it was wonderful to talk to all of you. And Gareth, thank you for arranging this. And you know, um, keeping this well. Uh, I think we can say that Tim arranged it. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Tim. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed this uh, this conversation. Uh, and we'll have um, more in the series uh, as the weeks progress. Um, but um, no, just on behalf of the Assessment Association, thank you very much. And hopefully, um, yeah. With, uh, oh, um, I'll let you. I'll tell you what, though. How would people get in contact you, contact with you, or if they wanted to after this podcast? Oh, um, well, for Alpha Plus, it's easy. Uh, www.alphaplus, all one word, alphaplus.co.uk. And our email addresses, Gavin and mine email addresses, I think are on the website in the um, who we are section. Have a look. Perfect. Yes. And yes. Yeah, same uh, from us. We have a website, tcsion.com, where people can go and register their interest. Uh, for the free offering, which uh, we mentioned, which is available till March 2021, the Glassroom, there's a separate link which we have posted in the EA website itself. People can connect with us and it has uh, contacts of our uh, important guys also. We'll connect with them as soon as they register interest. Perfect. Thank you so much for 
Um, again, thank you for um, coming on today. I suppose I should also mention that um, the E-Assessment Association are holding a virtual conference. Um, it's coming up soon. Um, so if you go to the E-Assessment Association website, um, which will be in the show notes, uh, there'll be details of that. Um, thank you all. I, um, saying goodbye is difficult on a podcast because you either cut everyone off or you just keep rambling on and on and on um so i am going to cut everyone off thank you very Thanks much for you. see you later thank you this has been a e-assessment association podcast you can subscribe to these podcasts through your standard podcasting channels and you can also find out more information at our website which is e-assessment.com you can join the association for free and learn about all our amazing activities in terms of research, awards, conferences, news and information. Thank you and I hope to see you back soon.